0: Hello, and welcome to the pilot episode of California Nation, your source for the latest political news coming out of California. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. So here's how this will work. At the beginning of each bi-weekly show, we'll dive into an issue worthy of your attention. You'll hear the story behind the story and get an insider look from the Sacramento Bee into how the news gets made. After that, I'll interview a top newsmaker. And finally, each show will end with a segment called Buzz of the Week, where I'll share my favorite headline, politics or otherwise, and invite listeners like you to do the same. More instructions on that to come. Without further ado, this is California Nation. Enjoy the show. Five,
1: four, three, two, one. We are not going to have a circus here.
2: I appreciate the president's tweet when he thanked me. Can you please hug me? California's leaders are in open defiance of federal law. You know what, everybody? They never thought we could do it.
0: This is California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. We begin today's show with a look at California's homelessness crisis through the eyes and ears of Gavin Newsom, the Democrat running to become the next governor. Newsom says he wants to address what he sees as a legitimate crisis. But what's his track record on the issue of homelessness? My colleague Angela Hart recently met up with him and hit the streets of San Francisco to witness the problem firsthand. Angela, thanks for coming on. How does it feel to be the first guest?
1: Good, let's do this thing. What would help you? What's the most important thing? It's housing.
3: That one, baby. It's housing and more apartments. That's for us. If your income doesn't match it, then we don't get it.
0: Can you just give me a little background as to what your day from start to finish looked like with Gavin Newsom? What would you guys do?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. It was kind of unexpected. Um, I We met at a, we set up a formal, you know, I put in an interview request and met him at um, a, a homeless event, hom- homeless services event out in San Francisco's Bayview neighborhood, traditionally African-American neighborhood. We were just gonna have you know a photo shoot and then a short sit-down interview. We did the photo shoot um, with um, one of our photographers at the B. and uh, we took a drive. We drove um, across the city through a lot of bad traffic, and that gave a you know that gave me a good 40 minutes one-on-one time in the car with him. So we had a long interview there, and then we got out. We approached uh, the San Francisco's mid-market neighborhood, which is really a very downtrodden neighborhood, it's kind of the gateway to the Tenderloin. It's in, centrally located in the city, but it's where you can really visibly see a lot of San Francisco's problems with homelessness. There is very open drug use. You can see, you know, you walk down the street and people are shooting up. People are sleeping, you know, you step over bodies, quite literally, walking up the sidewalk. I said, you know, Newsom, um, you know, this is the epicenter. And he said, "Let's jump out." So we got out, and um, as soon as I got, we got out of his car, big black SUV. As soon as I jumped out, it was crazy. It was like a, it was like a, it was like he was famous or something. I read the paper every day, man. Yeah. Hey, you know we're going to bump
0: for Gavin. We're going to bump for him. You know, he started Homeless Connect here at the city. At the city.
1: Thank, you for, thank you for Homeless Connect.
0: He looks like John Kennedy. How do they they know him, or how did he impact their lives during his time as San Francisco mayor? Because I heard one person saying that, you helped me out during your time as mayor I wouldn't be here so what did he do as mayor to sort of address homelessness
1: you know I think he had a really personal relationship and I think that um, as mayor of San Francisco he really tried to learn um, about how deep that problem was and um, he had some successes he launched a program called Care Not Cash very controversial you know that care not cash thing that he did that was really controversial do you remember that care not cash um what it did essentially was take welfare payments of about roughly 400 dollars a month that people were getting these are payments that san francisco taxpayers were paying for so it's a san francisco program he took that money from them and he most of from, it
0: from homeless people from homeless people wow
1: he took that money from them and he gave it you know he gave it back to the city he put it in a like special fund and And used that money, I think it was about 3,000 people initially, used that money to acquire um, these old single-room occupancy hotels, mostly in the Tenderloin neighborhood.
0: And he showed you around some of those single-occupancy homes. What was that like?
1: Yeah, we walked, and um, unannounced, he would just walk in, and he'd be like, Gavin Newsom. And they'd be like, go ahead.
2: These uh, were built after World War II for a lot of our GIs that were returning. A lot of these were built with no expectation they'd still be around today. Uh, they were done quickly and relatively cheaply, and when we say single room occupancy hotel SROs, we're talking about just, I mean, nothing else but a bed, in some cases, you'll see a room that has multiple beds and people are doing three shifts.
1: Um, and these, you know, single room occupancy hotels, you know, it's created um, housing for homeless people that otherwise wouldn't have been there. So. His argument is that you know he didn't solve homelessness, he didn't eradicate chronic homelessness, but the problem would be far worse today had he not set aside those housing, that housing for
2: people. Families literally doing shifts just to be able to afford four, five hundred dollar a month rent. The problem is now it's four, five hundred, six, seven, eight hundred dollars in some cases, which is insanity, and that goes to this moment, this crisis that is legitimate, the affordability crisis, which is exacerbating the issue. And creating more pressure, more people being displaced, more people on the streets. Just one of many reasons the problem is getting worse.
1: Now, on the flip side, you know, critics and homelessness advocates argued to the, they argued at the time and they still argue to this day that, you know, you're, you're stripping the poorest, poor people, poorest of the poor of like what little money they have, telling them how to solve their problems when they're really the best ones to assess their own problems. Newsom argued that they were just buying alcohol and drugs with that money. So I think that was one of the main points of tension and remains one of the main points of tension to this day. Um,
0: so, But the number of homeless people actually increased slightly over time and during Newsom's time as mayor, how does he square those, those two realities of trying to, hey, I did something that fixed the problem or put a den in the problem versus we see more and more homeless people.
1: He said fair game, you know, fair criticism to that point. Um, he argues that San Francisco, the problem is exponentially worse, um, so much worse in in San Francisco, but also in the Bay Area because there's such a concentration of services. So people who, you know, there's a lot more housing, there's a lot more social support services. So people will, you know, maybe um, come there a little bit more. Um, and so he wants to... As if, he, if he's elected governor, he wants to do this regional plan to sort of encourage or incentivize other cities to offer more housing and to you know, have a more robust social support system in place to sort of spread the burden.
0: What, what did you observe that day that, that stands
1: out? I mean, the biggest thing that stands out is how prevalent the problem still is. The, the problem is much worse now much more in your face now than it was when he was mayor. And one could argue that, you know, he hit like he, the, the conditions he, you know, the city he led, led, laid the policies for these conditions to to grow, to not get any better. Everywhere we went, it was either smelled like urine or weed. So, I mean, it was just like the problems are very, very, like smacks you in the face.
0: Thanks for coming in, Angela. I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. Our first guest is the former leader of the California Senate. He's coming off a legislative victory over renewable energy, but finds himself trailing in the polls in his efforts to unseat Dianne Feinstein. The man goes by KDL joins us here today to discuss his political future and his vision for the Democratic Party. Kevin De León. thanks for coming on our debut show. We're glad to have you.
3: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here.
0: So I want to get to issues concerning Californians and what will be on voters' minds in November, but right out of the gate, I'm curious how you would assess the state of the California Democratic Party.
3: I, I think it's strong. I think it's robust. I think that we have um, a, a foundational base of advocates who care deeply about the direction of our state as well as our country. Obviously, these are very perilous times in our nation's history. In fact, these are very dangerous times in our nation's history, and I think that um, there is a lot of uh, uh, difference of opinions, uh, which I think is always good. I think that um, having robust debates on a variety of, of policies as well as values is always a good thing. And I think the state of the Democratic Party uh, is is very strong in California.
0: And do you see any sort of Clinton-Sanders rift going on?
3: I think that that is increasingly becoming a thing of the past, uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, um, Whether the narrative is for folks, whether it's the Clinton-Bernie Sanders world, or it's the progressives versus the moderates, increasingly, I, I think that is gonna be less of a factor and more having, again, like this robust internal debate, which is a healthy thing, which is a good thing, as opposed to being tied to personalities. More so, let's focus on values, uh, let's have that debate, um, and let's move forward united as one. And I think to date, that's we've been very successful. A lot of folks tend to look at dissenting thoughts and opinions as um, as a problem. I've never viewed it that way. Um, and I think that having more opinions on issues is a good thing.
0: So where do you see the party heading? In, in which direction? Because we've seen Andrew Gillum win and Ocasio-Cortez. So there's talk of maybe the Sanders-ish wing of the party is, is starting well, to, there, there to win. Well,
3: there you go again with that narrative. You know, the sanders if you will. Let well, me, I let mean, me you're this.
0: running, it's no secret that you're running on a more liberal agenda than Senator Feinstein is.
3: But it's interesting because let me slightly and gently push back a little. I don't think it's about going more to the left. Or sure. about going more to the right. It's about going forward on policies that are common sense, that improve the human condition for all Californians, regardless of who you are and where you come from, regardless of who you voted for in the presidential election. And I think these are policies that are transformative, that require leadership, Mm -hmm. not just an ideological bent, whether it's to the left or to the right, but requires real leadership to effectuate the positive change that is needed to have a positive impact on the lives of working families in California. And California plays a pivotal role in the nation because we are the nation's leader on a whole variety of issues, whether it's civil rights and human rights, whether it's immigration, whether it's clean energy, climate change. Uh, We are the the nation's leader. So um, I don't think it's so much about going to the left or going to the right. It's about going forward with policies that require real leadership. Not leadership on the sidelines, but leadership on the front lines. Now, let me say this, and it is true that California has moved more towards the per- progressive ranks. That is true. Because I was
0: gonna say, what was common sense to you might not be common sense to someone else from five years may not be common sense,
3: ago. but I will say this. The right to breathe clean air into our lungs and drink clean water the fact that we are the world's leader when it comes to climate change is not necessarily a progressive virtue or a democratic virtue. Mm-hmm. It does happen to be that we believe in facts and science that drives and informs my decision-making. Uh, but whether it's Medicare for all or the status quo or uh, Medicare for some, Medicare for all, we're talking about health care for all Americans, whether you voted for Trump Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, but we have successfully, unfortunately, in America, politicized the issue of health care, even racialized the issue of health care when we talk about quote unquote Obamacare, mm-hmm. which was meant to be a pejorative uh, and to defeat um, the idea of the ACA uh, under uh, the presidency of of a black man. Mm-hmm. So. I think there are common sense uh, policies that we move forward without question. We have m- moved towards a much more progressive uh, position, and I think that's a good thing for California.
0: So let's go into policy. I just kind of wanted a, a yes or no for your ideas and then okay. kind of elaborate on those. Just yes or no universal health care. Yes. $15 minimum wage.
3: Absolutely. I worked on that. I negotiated that, and it is a lot of the land of California, the highest in the country
0: free tuition at public colleges and universities? Without a
3: doubt. I think we have to invest in our young students. We cannot saddle them with debt, uh, principal and interest well into the 30s and 40s to get a college education.
0: So how do we fund these proposals and these ideas?
3: It's a very good question. This is about values and this is about priorities. We spend over half of federal discretionary dollars on the U.S. military. We have the strongest military uh, in the history of the world. Uh, We uh, uh, must maintain our strength without question but we also must be very strategic and tactical in how we invest in human capital that will make America continue to be the strongest nation in the world, not just through the strength of our military, but through the strength of our human capital, our minds of the best and brightest of students that America has to offer. We're being surpassed strategically by many other nations in STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, and I think that what we have created, we have created this huge cottage industry of uh, wheelers and dealers with loans that are saddling uh, students uh, with a mountain of debt that they're not able to pay off until they're well into their 30s and 40s. And that impacts our economy adversely. So
0: so all those are sort of the, outlining the problems. What's the, the financial solution? Is it less military spending? Is that what
3: well, I think it takes a, it takes a comprehensive approach of looking at the overall general budget of the United States of America, and we have to start making strategic investments for the United States of America. So if that means less money for the US military, and be mindful about one thing, uh, we had generals from the Pentagon who sheepishly uh, stated, whether it was on background or uh, on on record, that they didn't need as much as money as the Trump uh, administration was giving them
0: they give more than what was requested they
3: give much more than was requested because it was used as a uh, political prop if you will to show and exude strength in the u.s military we had to be very intelligent in our investments clean energy if we want energy independence uh, from what is happening in the middle east we have to move uh, forward strongly with clean energy uh, proposals export our values from california to washington and not the other way around so it is about values, it is about priorities, and making those decisions at a national level. And be f- quite frankly, the national government's investment uh, in our K-12 schools uh, in higher education is abysmal.
0: Well, I- I'm getting that those are all the problems. I'm trying to get at what the, sol- the solution well, I'm
3: to is. The, well, I'm giving you those solutions. Is One reprioritizing. The, we reprioritize, okay. uh, we, we, we assess and revalue what we're spending our money on. Uh, currently uh, uh, with the United States federal government, and then we make those strategic decisions. We, don't, we just don't go along with the same old, same old, mm-hmm. because that's what the bureaucracy does in Washington, D.C. It's about moving forward transformative policies that have an impact on the human condition, that in the short, mid, and long term will reap huge dividends for America. We have to invest in America, mm-hmm. and our national security starts at home, not abroad.
0: And I wanna get to the issues. You mentioned the words dangerous and perilous times that we're in and that sort of struck out at me. What do you see as the most important issue facing Californians today?
3: Well, there's a whole variety of issues. I don't think one is more important than the other. The issue of climate change, the issue of our forest fires. uh, They're no longer seasonal, they're year round. Uh, Climate change uh, impacts us even more so. The issue of families being separated uh, from their uh, parents, uh, young children. Uh, Continued economic growth for California, the issues of drought. Uh, We have to have continued economic growth in California, and that's why we have to double down on clean energy policies that will create high-wage paying jobs. The issue of housing, which primarily has been a local government issue, both cities and counties. Now, state government is taking a much more um, uh, aggressive approach when it comes to the issue of housing. I think the federal government has to. The federal government has historically been involved more so uh, uh, in a sort of a, a private sector approach or, or free market approach to Section 8 uh, coupons and, and vouchers, you know. Um, we have to really provide financial products for working families, for middle-class families. We have to get in the, uh, the business of how do we backstop and uh, be a, a reinsurance, if you will, to guarantee loans uh, uh, for families who want to purchase the American dream.
0: I think you rattled off seven most important issues there. Yes, because I think they're all important. I don't think one is more important than the other. And it's no secret that once you... You're you're no fan of of Donald Trump. I think that's very generous and fair to say. Uh, What would be one issue you think you could agree with him on? Because once you get into Washington, you have to try and reach compromise with political opponents at times. Is there one issue where you say... Yeah, I could agree with the president. Be on mindful this.
3: about one thing. I know about compromise. I've led the the, the California State Senate, arguably the most uh, uh, productive legislative body uh, in the country. So I know about compromise and working with my Republican colleagues and finding common ground, in negotiating hard, tough deals, but yet uh, finding win uh, uh, a win for my Republican colleagues. This is very different. This is not Jeb Bush at the helm of the federal government, or John Kasich, or. Even someone, a blowhard from Jersey like Chris Christie or a Marco Rubio from Florida. This is a man who will continuously move the goalpost. This is a man who never really has negotiated really hard, complex deals. And my fear has always been from day one that you cannot negotiate with him. And to date, the Democrats in Washington have been unable to be a check or negotiate A deal that's honest and fair. So when it comes to our national security issues, when it comes to our climate change issues, when it comes to tearing families apart, when it comes to tariffs that are hurting California uh, farmers and and businesses, um, there's very little that I see that we can find common ground. The only slight credit perhaps that I will uh, recognize is um, the different paradigm shift in approach towards North Korea. Now that issue has not been settled yet because that foreign, the foreign historic foreign policy has always been through sanctions and not yet getting to the table. The fact that these two individuals, the leader of North Korea from Pyongyang and Trump have actually met face to face, that in a sense without question through an objective perspective was historical. But the concern is the follow through. So there's yeah, not the one issue you
0: and the president could agree on?
3: I haven't seen anything right now. But I don't <laughs> agree with any of his appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court or to the federal bench. Uh, the, the tax issue, I don't agree with. It's, it's a big giveaway to the wealthy and to corporations at the cost of middle-class families, working families, uh, pulling out of the Paris Accords mm-hmm. uh, uh, on climate. Uh, he sued me on sanctuary state Senate Bill 54. We won in a court of law.
0: I like that I ask if you can agree on something and you list like five things you can't.
3: No, you know, <laughs> you gave me that opportunity, so, so I took it.
0: Yeah. I had a few final lightning rounds for you, and I wanted to end with you sharing a story. Is it yes,
3: no, yes, no, yes, no? Or two like yes, no's two Giants yes, or Dodgers? No. I, for I the record,
0: there's a Scully sign in your office <laughs>
3: Dodgers. <laughs> but I always had rooted for the Giants when they were in the World Series.
0: In and out or five guys?
3: Oh, easy. In and out. Even, even in close. these
0: politicized times we're in about in and out.
3: <laughs> even in these highly <laughs> politicized times, you know, I'm an in and out guy, animal style.
0: Now this might not be a short one, but I wanted to end with this. About a year or two ago, Chris Catalago, one of our former colleagues, interviewed you, and Kevin Alexander León is your name on your birth certificate. It is. Can you share the story of De León?
3: Well, it, it was a, it's a tough story, um, as uh, written. Um, beautifully, uh, fairly, by Chris Catalago, uh, former reporter for the Sac SACB, now with The Politico. Um, that was a tough interview, I remember, um, because it was a very deeply personal interview. Um, I did this in college, um, and I think a lot of folks already know my story ad nauseum. Uh, youngest child, single Im- immigrant mother, third grade education. Um, my mother had a family, um, her children, Uh, Married Uh, my father um, Had his family married uh, Had his children Um, I was uh, a Product as a result of uh, uh, Them coming together for a very short short period and I always felt like I never belonged like I never had a strong foundation underneath me um, that I belonged to to uh, to a family I think you can be poor, and you can have stability still. Um, um, I never had that, so it was just sort of my own uh, private attempt to uh, want to belong to somebody, uh, and uh, that's that's the origin of why I did it. I did it on my own, uh, I didn't go to uh, uh, the county office, um, uh, uh, I don't know what they're called, recorder, clerk's office, you know, and fill out paperwork. This is something that I did on my own, and uh, um, it is what it is, you know. It is uh, who I am today, Um, and uh, it's a result from from that. So it was a very difficult interview, I remember.
0: I appreciate you taking
3: the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.
0: And we'll be right back on California Nation. Welcome back to California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. We end this show, as always, with our favorite segment, Buzz of the Week, where I give you my favorite headline in the news and invite listeners like you to do the same. This week, my Buzz of the Week comes from the wild west of Washington, D.C. and the drama surrounding the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Now Kavanaugh is Trump's latest nominee for the Supreme Court. So it looks like Kavanaugh will get approved out of the Senate Judiciary Committee until a surprising twist happens. California Senator Dianne Feinstein, she makes an announcement.
2: Well, Senator Dianne Feinstein um, put out a cryptic statement today about information she received, apparently about Judge Brett Kavanaugh. In a press
0: release, Feinstein writes, and I quote, I have received information from an individual concerning the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. That individual strongly requested confidentiality, declined to come forward or press the matter further and I have honored that decision. I have, however, referred the matter to federal investigative authorities." End quote. Now, in the coming days, a letter emerges from an anonymous woman claiming Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her at a high school party in 1982. And amidst growing pressure, Christine Blasey Ford decides to go public with her story. We are following breaking news concerning Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. The woman accusing him of sexual assault when the two were both in high school has come forward. Her name is Christine Blasey Ford, and we now have the letter she sent to Senator Dianne Feinstein. Kavanaugh strongly denies the allegations. In a statement, he writes Quote, I categorically and unequivocally deny this allegation. I did not do this back in high school or at any time, end quote. Feinstein's handling of this was brought into question when she didn't release the information surrounding the name of the alleged victim. She's also been broadly criticized for not being tough enough on Brett Kavanaugh. She also raised eyebrows when saying this to one Fox News reporter. This is a woman, and I really believe, who's been profoundly impacted mm-hmm. by this. Now, I can't say everything's truthful, I don't know. At the same time, Kavanaugh's receiving pushbacks for these remarks he made in 2015 about his old high school days.
3: Fortunately, we had a, we had a good saying that we've, we've held firm to to, the, uh, to this day, as the dean uh, was reminding me before, uh, before the talk, which is, what happens at Georgetown Prep stays at Georgetown Prep. That's been a good thing for all of us, I think.
0: So after all is said and done, a committee vote on Kavanaugh was postponed so senators could have time to hear Kavanaugh and his accuser. certainly be in store for a wild week ahead. Brett Kavanaugh and Dianne Feinstein, you are my Buzz of the Week. And with that, I invite you to give me your Buzz of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's related to politics. I just want you to share something happening in the news that you can't get off your mind. You can leave me a message for your chance to appear on the podcast. Grab a pencil and some paper. You ready? Here it is. You can call me at 916-326-5538 and leave a recorded voice message after the tone. Again, that's 916-326-5538. Just say you're calling for Buzz of the Week and your message may appear on our next show. You can also check the show notes for more information. On behalf of everyone at the Sacramento Bee Capital Bureau, thank you so much for listening to our debut show of California Nation. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. It helps other people like you find our show. Word of mouth also helps. You can email me at beanderson at with any suggestions of things you'd like to see improved. Special thanks to Poddington Bear and Kai Engel for the music you heard in today's show. We'll be back in your feed in a couple weeks. I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation. Let's test the audio. Tell me Who you think is going to win America's Got Talent this year (laughs) and why? That way I can get a good couple of sentences. Oh, my
1: God. Why did you pick such a hard question?